Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com and by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with ROINJ editor and chief content officer, Tom Bergeron. Let's go back a little bit to your sports journalism. I love hearing the intern writing the letters for the internships out of school, which was in Virginia. University of Virginia, yeah. History major. History major, thank you. Why history? What did you get out of that? Always loved history. Actually, when I went to school, I started out as a comms major, and I took one class, and on the first day, they were talking about message and voice and distraction. And I said, well, I'm not going to do a major that's a whole bunch of stuff about theories of communication and writing. Mm. I was fortunate enough when I was in high school, I had started working for some professional papers, you know, covering some high school events and doing some things. So I had some writing experience and I knew that journalism was a profession that's learned and not taught. You know, a good editor is everything. So I took one comps class and say, this is not for me. I love history. I'm going to take history. My daughter is named Anastasia. One of my children is named <laughs> Anastasia because I'm a big fan of Russian history. Wow. Um, How it, apropos. That was, I wanted to name the other daughter Tatiana, but I got nixed on that one. Oh, but that's, okay. uh, um, it's all negotiation. That's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother podcast. So always enjoyed history. Writing history is a lot like writing journalism. It's gathering information, it's facts, it's presenting it in a storytelling way that's interesting. What's the number one rule of writing is after they read one sentence that you write, they want to read the next one. It doesn't matter if it's a history book or a scientific book or a newspaper or anything. They got to read the next sentence after the first one. So, you know, if you can do that, you're in good shape. So loved history, and, and that's why I went for that. Loved sports, grew up with the idea of, you mean someone would pay me to watch the Super Bowl <laughs> type of thing, which, which every kid in the world would do. I grew up in a huge newspaper family. My father described newspapers as the best bargain in the history of man. He had a, a subtle way of stating things. He said, for 25 cents or whatever it is in the world, I can get up every morning and there's more news that I can read just going through the Washington Post or whatever it is than I'm going to get anywhere else. It's unbelievable amount of news that I can get on all of these subjects, most of which I don't even know exist or didn't know that happened. So why would you not want to consume news and consume information? So I grew up in that atmosphere, went into sports, loved sports, loved sports journalism, was fortunate enough to get a job at the Ledger right out of college. Stayed there for, for about 10 years, did some great things. My wife and I, after we have the fourth kid, my wife was from Kansas City, we said, well, you know, let's try Kansas City for a little bit. You, you can get a really big house in Kansas City, a lot bigger than you get in New Jersey. And her mom was out there, so we moved out to Kansas City, and I worked at the Kansas City Star for two years. Fabulous sports section, but didn't really take. Prior as, to the Royals said, going to the World Series. Yeah, the Royals right? were dreadful when, when, <laughs> when we were out there, so as, as they normally are. So, you know, love sports, had the opportunity to come back. We found out that we really, really did like New Jersey. So was out there for two years, moved back, moved back to the same town that I was in, Morris Plains, love mm -hmm. Morris Plains, did sports journalism, was at the Ledger, loved working at the Ledger. The owners of the Ledger, the new houses were just the nicest people in the world. 
It was the 11th largest paper in the country, yeah. and it was run like it was a free Cirque, you know, mom and pop Cranford Chronicle that they're putting there. It was it was such a nice environment to work out. I'm so glad that that was the first place I did. Really learned a lot about the value of a good owner, of a good boss, of a good structure. Mm. Can't say enough about them. What happened, you know, with the economic downturn had nothing to do with, oh, they weren't ready for this and that. I'll give you my eBay story real quick. So in a nutshell, 20 years ago, if you wanted to sell your son's bicycle, what did you do? Right. Classified. You bought a classified at the ledger. That was like a $35 million a year business, right? You wanted to go on vacation. What did you do? Well, you open up the Liberty Travel section in the Sunday ledger. You wanted to buy a house. What did you do? Oh, there's three sections of houses. So it wasn't that people didn't want news. All of those dollar, $3, $5, $25 line-by-line items were gone, and I'm just going to make up numbers here. I'm going to say it cost the ledger $50 million a year in revenue for all of those little tiny ads. And how do you make that up? And you certainly can't say, oh, you should go online where the ad revenue started off being disastrous because they were so desperate to get anything. They, oh, 10 cents, you can buy an ad online. No, there was no replacement. Right, right. right. So media companies lost out on that. But there still is, again, I go back to our print publication doing well. There's still a thirst for that. Advertisers realizing that having someone actually see their ad, especially if it's a decision maker, has a greater uh, say. Oh, trust me, yeah, it was. You got this many eyeballs. People just they still believe that seeing the actual physical ad helps and resonates, which which I believe too. And look, print's not coming back in the sense that we're you know you're suddenly going to see growth in newspapers. But I don't know that it's dead. And the thing about the media today is niche media is what survives. You know, everything being all-encompassing does not survive. I can give you a good story about MMA on that. So you find out what works. You find out the audience you have. You sell towards that right. that ad. Right. My MMA line is this. So I was a sports editor at the Ledger, and we had a weekly Sunday boxing column, right? Well, that was great. Before the Internet, this is if you're a boxing fan, one day a week you got to read about 20 inches on boxing. Isn't that great? So my boxing writing comes to me and he says, look, here's the deal. There's this thing called MMA, mixed martial arts. This is what people care about. This is what they want. I want to do a boxing column and an MMA column. So I said, the writer is terrific, Franklin McNeil. I said, Franklin, that's great. I'll make the space. We'll put it in there. We started running a mixed martial arts column. Okay, this is great. And then you go online and you see that MMA.com or whatever it might be has 10 MMA articles every day. And they have 100 in a week, and we're putting one. So now it's one against 100. How are we competing? Mm. And that was my first introduction to niche media works. Right. Niche media works. At the Star-Ledger, one of the secrets of the sports department was one of the most successful parts of it was high school wrestling. People love high school wrestling in New Jersey, and they can get it nowhere else. So our rankings and our videos and our stories would go tremendously well. Better than, to some extent, a story in the Yankees, which you could get anywhere. But you want to talk about a good high school wrestling match or a good, you're getting it in one place. And advertisers will say, hey, I've got a wrestling summer camp. I sell wrestling shoes. I want to advertise on a Star Ledger wrestling video because that's my audience. Right. Rather than I want to be on every, you know, aspect. So that's where I got a good lesson in the power of niche media. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. 
For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. I'm fascinated by that because I've experienced the same thing in you know my career. How do you see that evolving? Is it just going to be more targeted and more niche? Does it run out of steam at some point? Do we hit a brick wall? You know, because you're in the front lines of this. It depends what the niche is. And that's a little bit why we bleed a little bit off of it where I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in addition to covering the business news and to some extent, people can say, okay, I'm going to buy ROI. Some of our main readers are going to be lawyers and accountants and real estate developers and tax people and saying, hey, here's a company I didn't know about. And and they've got 11 people and they're doing 2 million revenue. But I can see that there's a growth here that they might need a better accountant. They might need a better lawyer. You know, hey, Peterson, you know, go call these people up. Maybe we can get a sale out of this. Okay, that's great. If we're providing that information, that's good, too. But we also do a little bit more. I went and covered a Trump rally in Pennsylvania. That has absolutely nothing to do with business in New Jersey. But it was a fascinating look at people and the Donald Trump effect. Here I was 50 miles into Pennsylvania and was stunned that the event was sold out hours ahead of time. Okay, now hold hold on a second because I want to hit on this. Those of us who know you did this article realized that it blew up. I mean, it was a, quote, big success of an article, a lot of viewership. One of the takeaways I had about that was the timing of you doing that article was very not important to its success. I mean, it was, but very perceptive that you did that article when you did it. And I'd like to know why, because for whatever reason, you were right on that exact moment where people grabbed that topic. Now, we're surrounded every day about Donald Trump, churn, churn, but in your publication— speaking to that audience, you're a niche publication with lots of niches within. Right. And you nailed that article and it took off. Give me the deeper dive. Well, listen, so my oldest son is autistic, I'll say that, and his latest obsession is politics. So he watches politics every night and and I won't tell you what his views are because Mm they don't match. He's to the left on some issues and to the right on other issues in the Senate. I tried to explain to him, I said, you don't match up with anybody. You know, he views things a different way, but he loves politics. So he said, dad, there's going to be a Donald Trump rally in Pennsylvania. Can I go see it? I just want to be there. I watch him all the time on TV. I see this, I see all this stuff. You know, here, here's a a young adult who was just interested in politics. And I said, okay, well, let's go see the circus as they call it. Mm -hmm. What's it going to be like? So it was in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. I think I can't remember. It was right over the border. Right, right. It's going to be an hour drive. Okay, let's go. Nice father son trip. Mm -hmm. We get there to see it. And the title of the headline was something along the lines of, I went to a Donald Trump rally and it wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. Right, right. And written in a way of, here were the basic observations. You know, what I saw in the crowd, what I saw in the interaction on the pro-Trump versus anti-Trump, what I saw, I walked around for a little bit without a news lanyard on, and then halfway through it, I said, you know what, let me put my press pass on it to see what that's going to be. I was wondering about that. Pro or con, to see are people going to come up and are they going to be screaming fake news? Are they going to be doing this and that? How are they going to interact? How big is the crowd going to be? what type of people are going to be in the crowd for and against, and just what was the atmosphere. And mm-hmm. a lot of people credited me with saying, look, this was straight down the middle. It was just seven observations. Right. And that was all it was meant to be. It was, here's what I saw. Yeah. Here's what I saw. And I guess the biggest takeaway was the people on the coast still don't understand Donald Trump's appeal. I'm not going to say middle America because I was in Pennsylvania, but on the non-coast. 
So here I am 50 miles over the border in Pennsylvania, and it's a totally different world. Right. I mean, this, this arena opened up at 4 o'clock, and at 4.15, it was sold out. And when we got there, there were thousands of people milling around. And I remember telling my son, I said, look, this is the one thing that the media and everybody missed during the campaign. Trump would have these campaign rallies, and they'd be in an airplane hangar in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and 20,000 people would show up. Right. And Hillary Clinton would have a rally, and they would have it in a small hall, and there'd be 500 people there, and they'd be sitting on their hands, and you knew they were bust in. And I'm not saying pro or con for either candidate, no. but it was a way to do a slice of life of, is anybody seeing this, that there's appeal here? Mm. And if people think that, whatever we are, 18 months into his administration, that some would have you believe that the entire world has turned on Donald Trump. That's not what I saw that day in Pennsylvania. Far from it. It was eye-opening to me. And as journalism should be, as reporting should be, I just wrote what was there with facts. And I don't care if you like Trump or you don't like Trump. Here's what I saw. Right. How'd your son like it? He loved it. He was just the idea of being around people that were chanting slogans and chanting songs, sure. you know. Yeah, in the physical version of what he had been seeing through the media. Right. Right. And it was funny, on, on one of the notes that I made on the story of what I saw was you had the two sides yelling back and forth. Yeah. And speaking of the power of the media and the power of marketing and the power of words, and listen, they argued about every typical Trump slogan and idea that you could be. Sure. But sometimes the anti-Trump you know, would be given a speech and they have the microphone and they were yelling this and yelling that and, and here's a problem and, and this and blah, 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 blah. And then the Trump people just started chanting, build the wall, build the wall, right. build the wall, yep. build the wall. And you could see, I pointed at my son, I said, okay, here's the power of a slogan. And whether you believe it or not, this side is winning the argument because they're just saying three words. And it's not a matter who can yell louder they had a point, whether you agree with it or not, and th that's not what this is about to get into, but the other side was trying to rattle off 17 different things that Donald Trump was doing wrong, yeah. and they just came back with three words, and they won the argument. And, and the best thing was, it was an incredible civil discourse. And I pointed out to my son, I said, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? We can agree to disagree. You can say Red Sox, Yankees, you can say <laughs> Republicans, Democrats, we should be able to have a conversation at the end of the day, as was the case here, there wasn't a single person on the left who suddenly switched to the right, and there wasn't a single person on the right who suddenly switched to the left, but everybody got their say, and they all went home. And that's what democracy is supposed to be about. Democracy shouldn't be about eliminating what the other side wants to say. Everybody gets their say, right? And then we agree to disagree, and we go home. We hash it out in the ballot box. There you go, right. I told my son that for whatever great lines were attributed to President Obama, right? And what a fantastic speaker, fantastic orator, could really get a point across and do it in an elegant, charismatic, presidential way, right. which some would argue is no longer the case right now. Um, <laughs> I'm smiling if no one can see. And I said his most significant line of eight years, I thought, was right after he was reelected and the Republicans were still coming back and they were still trying to find a way to repeal Obamacare. And he just stood up and he said, you know, we had an election. And our side won. And people decided that they want this. We just had an entire election on whether we should repeal this. And you have to respect the fact that this side won. So let's move forward. And to some extent, I said that within the Trump story. I said, right. there was an election. And whether you like it or not, roughly 50% of the people in the country decided that we want this man to be president. So respect that and move on. And don't start me on the whole electoral college thing.
Uh, that's a podcast number three that we'll do. <laughs> and I would still say Bucky fucking Dent, but okay, but that's okay. We're going to bleep that, JP, of course. Um, Please tune in for part three of my conversation with Tom Bergeron, editor and chief content officer of ROINJ. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening.